All right, everybody, listen up. If you're not 18 or over, this podcast is not for you. So just turn around and walk away and everything's going to be okay. We clear? All right. Hello, and thanks for downloading another episode. It's been a while, uh, but I've got uh, more episodes in the hopper, as it were. Um... This episode is an episode long in the making. It's someone I've known for many, many years. And uh, he's sort of a, you know, a bit of a pillar in the community here in New York. He, uh, his name is Hilton from Purple Passion. Purple Passion, we've mentioned several times on the show, is a, uh, a kink sex toy store here in New York City. Uh, they focus on kink. There's a lot of kink stuff in there. There's... Uh, uh, if you've been in the King scene in New York, you've most certainly gone to Purple Passion. So um, we sat down, and um, uh, my mic was a little on the fritz uh, that day, so it sounds a little echoey, so I apologize in advance. But it was great to sit down and talk with him, and uh, here it is. All right, cool. Uh, so it's been over a year, I think, I've been bugging you to, to sit down for an interview, and finally, right. I've harangued you enough. Okay. And to get me to shut up, you've agreed to sit down and thank him. Welcome to the uh, podcast, and thanks for... We're doing it in Purple Passion right now. Great. In, in the basement, and um, <clears throat> let's start off at just find out what, where, where did you grow up? Okay, so I grew up in South Africa, Johannesburg, and I went to school there, and uh, I left South Africa when I was about 19, and I went to Europe. I spent like six years in Europe. And then when I used to write software, and then when I was about 26, I got a contract job in New York, and I moved to New York in 1978, and uh, it was a one-year contract, and it was a blast. I moved here, and uh, that year, I'd been here about six months when a club called Hellfire opened up. And it was just around the corner from where I lived. It was amazing. I lived on 16th Street. Hellfire was on 14th Street. So I used to go there a lot, and then I left New York after a year, and then I came back, and I've been here ever since. So <clears throat> did you have an interesting kink before Hellfire came up, or did you kind oh. of stumble upon Hellfire and go, oh, wow, this is a thing? No, I've always sort of been interested in kink. I was in London and Europe, and I used to go to some of the fetish clubs. Do you remember your earliest kink memory, or like what, like your earliest realization that you were into this? Um, probably the clothing. I've always been into the clothing aspect, and that goes back to when I was a teenager. I always liked exotic clothing right. and stuff like that, yeah. What was Hellfire like? We, I get a lot of people. Well, I mean, that's that's days, like the ultimate for people. People discuss Hellfire a lot. Well, when it first opened, it was predominantly gay. It was about 60 70% gay. It was open virtually every night of the week, except I think Monday, Tuesday was men's night. They called it manhole. Right. And uh, it was pretty freeform. It was in a basement, which was an old subway station, and pretty much anything went. There were no rules about taking drugs, having sex, alcohol. How did they get away with that? No one cared. It was uh, Mayor Koch was the mayor, and New York was sort of lawlessness. It was a, an interesting era. It was in the late 70s, early 80s, pre-AIDS. Right. <clears throat> and people could pretty much do whatever they wanted. No one really cared. It was a bar as well? Yeah, they had a bar, and everyone would sit around the bar and smoke and get beer and wine, but they had no liquor license, so right. they sold beer and wine. And then in the back, there would be rooms where you could pretty much do whatever you liked. Um, 
It was an interesting club because it was up until like six in the morning and it was different. Like Sunday nights, there would be a guy called Billy. He worked in Times Square in a video store. So every Sunday night about one o'clock, he'd show up at Hellfire with a big buffet and videos. And he would play hardcore videos for a couple of hours. And a buffet. Uh, and a buffet, yeah. Big buffet. It was great. So one o'clock, it was That sounds time. amazing. Yeah. Yep. Then Wednesday night was special interest night. What would happen is there'd be like photography night. There'd be a fisting night. There was just special interest things. Thursday, Friday, Saturday was just regular night. You came, you played, you did whatever you liked. In those days, people were dying of pneumonia. People hadn't recognized that actually it was AIDS. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was always lucky. I tell people I was straight. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have been here today because, you know, everyone who was playing. What would happen is <clears throat> you get a certain type of people who had come there. And that usually around 2, 3 o'clock in the evening, all the people who worked up at the porn district in Times Square would finish work and then come down to Hellfire. So the whole club would go through a change of, like, people. And it was like all the cokeheads showed up and all the hardcore sex people would show up and it would go through a change, like three, four in the morning. It was really cool. And then six, seven o'clock, everyone would finally leave and go do La Florent. It was like a French diner. Right. It was there for years. It closed about two years ago. In the mid-80s, they closed it. When they diagnosed AIDS, they shut it down as a health hazard. Okay. And then it sort of reopened as the uh, the vault. What? Because what, mm -hmm. right now, right. Uh, you know, it, it's becoming more and more. Um, or I should say, it sounds a lot more female friendly today than it was back then. Yeah, it was very scary. The club because it was it smelt really bad. There right. was no ventilation. There was a lot more guys. Um, actually, a lot of people would go there. I mean, I had a lot of friends who went there. It was just like a wild, I thought of it as like an Alice in Wonderland kind of a club. Right. You could see anything and everything. But you, you, uh, yeah. mm -hmm. I, I, at least when I first moved here um, in the early 2000s, it mm -hmm. was uh, very difficult. You, you know, you'd go to an event or a club right. and there was only always like a, you know, a 50 to 1 ratio of men to women. No, um, it wasn't that bad. It was maybe, well, there were a lot of gay guys, but I would say if you got rid of the, you know, ignore the gay guys, maybe like a three to two ratio, oh, three okay. men to two women. It really wasn't all that bad. I wonder what changed, uh, you know, from, from Hellfire. What was it special about Hellfire where uh, women could feel safe and go, and, and it was clearly a lot more hardcore Right. Then, then you know, like a, a club, you know, you'd go to um, paddles or something, and they just don't feel safe. It's, or maybe is it because that was the only game in town, and that's well, why? Well, I don't know if people don't feel safe. I mean, I don't know, because I've never felt unsafe at paddles either. Sure. Or the woman I've been with. I think they had a lot of bounces in Hellfire. Okay. Um, just different, different uh, people. You know, it's a different era. Right. You know, today you go to a club, all the laws are written down, what you can and cannot do. Sure. Before there were no rules, you made up your own. Right. So it was like a different era. Right. And so, and so you had people who knew what they were getting into if they went there. Yeah, there weren't any tourists. This is pre-computers. You know, the only places you either knew what was going on and you went there, or there might be an ad in Screw Magazine or the old Soho News or The Voice would right. have ads, and that was really it. Right. So, you know, I don't think there were a lot of tourists going there. Right. 
you know, they didn't have all the movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and that right. which promoted. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we all started somewhere. Of course. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, you, were, of, you, have, you said there were other clubs too. Yeah, that there were a lot came of clubs in those days. Originally, Paddles, which was, it started off on 18th Street between 10th and 11th Avenue, and they would have like a theater. It was a theater and a play club. And uh, that was fun. The woman who owned it, her name was Honey. And honey? Michael, yeah. No, Honey. Her name, Honey Mistress. Right, honey. right. And Michael, who owns Paddles now, used to do performance art there. So that's where he started out. And then it moved. Paddles moved to many locations. It moved to 24th Street and between 6th and 7th. Then it moved to 18th Street, then to 20. I think it's on 26th Street now. So it has a bunch of different locations. Yeah, it's gone through an interesting history, too. Yeah, like they used to have shows like on Wednesday night, Friday night, performance art, which was always good. Uh, There was another club called uh, Club O. It was just a play club. I never really went there much, but my favorite club was La Chateau 19 in those days. It was on 19th Street between 6th and 7th Avenue, and it was only open Tuesdays and and Thursdays. How did they? How do they stay in business if they're only open two days a week? The first year rents were cheap in those days. Right, it wasn't like today, and of they had a good crowd. I mean, it was a lot of really fun stuff. And Tuesday was the early night till one o'clock. Thursday was till like two thirty. And what was so special about that club that made? There it- were just a lot of fetishists who would go there. Really hardcore fetishists, you know, and it was just fun. People dressed. Um, they didn't advertise at all, so right. you just had to find out about it. It was just more interesting. Then there were two places where you could go watch, like, S&M Theater. There was Belle de Jour, who always had her theater, like, it was on the 12th floor on 18th Street originally, and she would have every Wednesday night and sometimes Fridays, like, a hardcore theater. What do you mean by theater? Well, like, what like would go on? performance art. There'd be, like, six or seven skits. So like, can you give me like, what it, what it, like, so would be like someone would do a whipping or someone would do. So, yeah, that or body worship or water sports. It were like just different kinds of right. scenarios. And then there was another woman called Magda Saad. And she had a theater on 18th Street where she, she had a pro-dom house. Both of them did. And then she would have a show also. Right. I know there were a lot of, a lot of places mm-hmm. sort of doubled. They were you know, a pro-dom place, and, place a and, and then a play Right. You know, they they do that on the weekends or something. Right. right. There was also a, a club called Another Way to Love. And that was uh, like for people who were very, very novice, just coming into something different. And they were in Soho and Saturday night they would have like a show with five or six sex skits and a few S&M skits. Right. That was in the early days. They were like in the early 70s, 80s. <clears throat> so what, what, what do you think? I mean, that's. So oh, obviously, I know there was been a lot clubs. more. There was always two or three things to do any night of the week, actually. Right. And then there was like Oil and Spiegel, which is a not-for-profit. Yeah. There was GM. Later on, there was GMSMA and LSM. And do all of these have sort of a similar uh, end of life? Like, did they all end for the same reason? Just, no, just, or... just some of them outgrew. The, like Belle de Jour, she sort of... Gave it up. She retired. Magda Saad, same thing. The people who ran Club O, it was a lesbian couple. I think they just moved out of town. Right. You know, just different reasons. Things changed. People stopped. I wonder if there is, I mean, because right now it seems that most of the events 
um, are sort of like pop-up locations. They'll right. be like at a, at, you know, either be at the basement of a restaurant or something like that, just because they can get it cheap or something. And right. and There's, so temporarily, a basement of a restaurant becomes becomes a kink place. I think it's changed because the rents are so expensive right. now. So um, in those days, it was a lot of empty room in New York, empty spaces, right. warehouses. So it was easier to rent space. Like Oil & Spiegel, I was very active with them. From I was on the board from 81 to 94. Wow. And uh, in those days, we would rent the village, the village roller skating rink. Oh, wow. We'd have huge parties and we'd cut the rink in half and we'd have equipment and tables and we'd get six, seven hundred people at a party. Wow. And we'd do that like every other month. So there was bigger spaces for parties. Of course. I mean, in the early days, like Oil and Spiegel, they would get invited to a lot of the clubs because it was fun to get like a really colorful group of people into the club. So they had parties like at the old tunnel, the mine shaft, the Palladium, not the mine shaft, but the Palladium. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about tests a little bit, or the mm-hmm. Yulin Spiegel Society. Right. What, did you notice a, a change over the course of that decade and a half that you remember? Or it was longer than that, wasn't no, it? Things or? changed a lot. I mean, uh, first it was difficult to get spaces. We had a really good landlord on West 4th Street, and uh, he was good. His name was Steve. Like in the 10 or 15 years we rented, he never once gave us a rent increase. Wow. It was really good. And then we'd rent parties or have free parties a lot of times clubs wouldn't charge us um, and then things change you know as the internet became more popular it became uh, I guess more people were attracted to it mm-hmm. it was easier to learn about stuff you just went online you didn't have to go out to the clubs to see things you could do stuff online right um, it was more social in the old days because you had to go out to meet people yeah. who didn't have all the online dating stuff that yeah. we have today. Yeah, It's weird because, like in many things, the Internet can help in many ways, but it can also hurt in other ways, right? Yeah, people aren't as social. Right, because they can just gravitate to the person they want online and then meet them in, in person or maybe not even meet them at all, right? Right. Um, and also people – it's really interesting because um, – I was talking to someone who said that the re- the way that the internet is hurt is that it used to be if you were interested in a specific activity, let's say whipping or or, or maybe that's a bad example, but if you if like if there's an activity that requires the other person to be there in order to learn, bondage is a prime example. Uh, um, that it, you know you actually have to go and meet someone in order to become good at it, right? right. Or you know as opposed to just reading about the theory of it, um, and that. People would, because they would gravitate to each other in person, right. you'd be able to see who's good and you'd be able to learn from people and, and inc- improve yourself that way. Whereas right now online, you can you can try to, to learn everything online and then when you meet someone, you know, do some serious damage because you right. didn't, you know, because you didn't move up the ranks, so to speak, or you didn't kind of right. learn from the mistakes of other people. Um and that's hurt a lot. And so you can have people who think they're going to go play with someone who's really, really experienced and it turns out. You're the first person they ever played on. Yeah, they're not telling you that. Definitely. Right? I mean, that's a lot of people are just, it's all online experience versus right. actual physical. Yeah. Right. Um, that's a tough one. I mean, the, there's a positive and negative. The positive is that you have access to more information, right. you know, safety, things like that. Um, the negative, as you say, is sometimes people bullshit and you have no idea if they've actually even played with someone. Right. You know, it might all be like, 
computer knowledge. Who right. knows? Yeah. One friend of mine, she said that what she found was if she meets someone in person mm-hmm. first and she kind of just gets to know them, right. um, she she finds it the, she has much more positive experiences that way because what can happen if you're meeting someone online, if you're just mm-hmm. chatting or texting back and forth, mm-hmm. uh, she found, at least for her, she would romanticize or or sexualize them in her ideal because she's not there personally. She hasn't met them yet, yeah. And, but yet, she in her imagination, she's sexualizing them or 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 thinking of them as right. this ideal. And then when they she finally meets, uh, she may take risks with them that she wouldn't normally because she already has drawn this conclusion in her mind ahead of time. As opposed to if she were to meet that person. First, like at a party, mm-hmm. she'd realize really quickly that this person's a horrible, you know, a horrible person, right? Yeah, I mean, I know people like I watch them on Facebook and things like that. Who I know are very quiet, demure, but on Facebook they like these raging demons. Right, it's right, like, right. It's sort of weird because you know, being online allows people to be who they not really are. Of course, yeah. So you got to watch out for that, right? Um, yeah, and then so okay, so that, those were all the clubs. I used to write software, and in the early days, I actually wrote software. I, I worked at Merrill Lynch as a consultant for like fourteen years. Wow! And I was selling art out of my apartment, erotic art. How did for, how did that happen? I mean, did you? Just... I just knew friends who did art, and they were really cool, and I was trying to sell it. So I would go to shows around the country. You know, in those days they had a lot of fairs around the country, mm-hmm. like uh, fetish fairs. Right. And none of the art really sold. And then I had friends who made leather toys. And they would say, here, take the toys on consignment. And if it doesn't sell, bring it back. So I'd end up with two booths, art, toys. And the toys always sold and the art didn't. And this was at art shows? Yeah. Oh, no, it was like fetish uh, leather oh. shows. Oh, okay. events around the country. Sure. And then that was like in the late 80s, early 90s. And then I had a big loft I lived in in Manhattan. And I had half of it set up as a store. So I did by appointment only. Right. And people would come up, a lot of mistresses, people like that. And uh, I started selling stuff and I was still doing computer work. And then finally I ran out of time. You can't do both. Right. You just don't have enough time. And I was walking to the post office and I found this really cheap store. The guy was putting up a sign, four rent, 600 bucks. I said, hey, I'll take it. Right. He said, well, I'll put you on the list. Give me a deposit. And he called me back. And this was March 15th. And I, I went home and I sent out a, a mailing because in those days you did mailings. To my mailing list, I said, grand opening, April 1st. So I said to my wife, I said, I'm committed. I have to open the store now. I told everyone. <laughs> And it was funny because when I first opened the store, <clears throat> I got a lot of flowers. People like, oh, congratulations. My wife was, of course, thrilled because she didn't have to have their store in the apartment. Right, now. right. And I had all these flowers and I put them in the front of the store, like in the window. So most of the neighbors would come in the store thinking it was a florist. Oh, <laughs> and then they said, well, this is no florist. This is a fetish store. So I started doing that and it just grew. How, how, what was the... Did you tell the the, pers- the the landlord when you were getting, like, this is going to be a, a kink store? Or? Yeah, I've always been honest. Oh, okay. But what was his reaction? He doesn't care as long as it's green as money. Long or? As I paid the rent, he didn't right. care. He was an Italian guy. He owned about 50 buildings in Chelsea. Oh, wow. He said, Hilton, as long as you pay the rent, I really don't care what you do. Right. And then I, it was small. It was about 400 square feet. And after about two years, a one-bedroom apartment became available behind the store, same building. So I asked the landlord if I could take it and knock a wall down. He said, sure. 
So that's when I doubled the size of the store and I expanded. I started doing corsets and mm -hmm. other stuff. And I was there for about 15 years. And then in the same neighborhood, there was a gay men's store called Deviate. Mm -hmm. And the guy who owned that was Fred Katz. And I knew him from events and shows. And at one point, he told me he really didn't want the store anymore. He wanted to just sell it. So I made him an offer. He liked it. And then I moved into the Deviate store, which is my current location. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was good because it's a big store. So it allowed me to expand yeah. and grow. And I actually make a lot of stuff. I have tools and I try to keep most of the stuff local with local craftspeople. Yeah. Let's talk about the store then. Uh, mm -hmm. And like sex toys and kink and fetish <laughs> right. products. Mm -hmm. Um Obviously, when like when when people are, you know, over the course of years, like you started in this in the eighties, you started doing or, yeah, I started selling stuff in the late eighties. I incorporated Purple Passion in ninety one, and in ninety three, I opened the store. Did you ever have any grief from the beverage company? Which beverage? There's company? a there's a drink called Purple Passion. It's like a no, two liter. I had it all trade registered and oh, everything. Great. I had people who called me and wanted to buy my name. I had the beverage company and right. I had a company that does uh, perfume. Right. I had a bunch of people and I said, nope, not for sale. And then they wanted to, me to put their products on my website. I said, that's not going to happen either. Right. Someday someone's going to, you're going to be able to, they'll, they'll want to buy your domain name and you'll be able to retire. Well, I had that, and but no one ever came up with any offer. I oh, said, okay. You know, make me an offer and I'll think about it. But right. uh, yeah, because there's purple passion drinks, perfumes, right. yeah. and there's a lot of stuff, yeah. The um, you will retire someday with just uh, one one nice. one person who wants to. Um, so the, the the products were all locally made at first. A lot of them, but in the early days we didn't have computers, so we would have to call distributors, and you spend half your day on the phone, and they would describe products, and right. you'd go to shows and visit the distributor and look at the products. Uh, clothes, same thing. You'd get catalogs in the mail. You'd go through it. It was very different. How would you decide between? You know, like what what makes a good product? Like, how do you know that, okay, this is going to be... Well, today it's different. You go on... Firstly, we go to trade shows where people show us all the toys, how mm -hmm. it works. Right. What kinds of warranties and that, and mm -hmm. we can actually see it. Then we go online and look at reviews. There's a lot of professional reviewers who review products, and you can see what it's like. Right. And then certain companies just have good reputations for quality products. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I try not to buy knockoffs because they're usually poorer quality. Right. Um, today it's very easy. I mean, you can see products. You go online. If it's a crappy product, there'll be at least half a dozen people who've reviewed it badly. Years ago, it was trial and error. You'd get a few products in. Like I always joke, I say some stores have like boxes and roomfuls right. of mistakes. I have like one box of mistakes. Right. Um, you know, you buy one and if it works and it seems good and they don't return it, then you buy more. Yeah. You know, that's what I used to do. Today it's different. We go to trade shows. Certain companies have really good reputations. We look at the products based on price. You know, is it silicone? Does it come with a warranty? So there's a lot of choices to that. How has the, have you, have you noticed, especially with outsourcing, that the quality has changed over yeah, time? Yeah, quality has improved. Like, for instance, vibrators, they've incorporated a lot of the new technologies. So they come with multi-speeds, right. multi-functions. You know, they, 
they have so many different choices. Vibrators, they're quiet, they last longer, they're waterproof. Yeah. So you have a lot of things. So the technology has actually caught up with the toys. Have you noticed a, uh, just as I know people who, who say mm-hmm. that when they uh, either are making porn or they're make, or, or maybe they're, uh, they're teaching or whatever, mm-hmm. they notice different fads come and go as far as the type of sex that people well, are interested in. Well, it depends. I mean, when you had the Fifty Shades, we got a lot of people looking to buy whatever was in the movie. Right. But the reality is the younger generation who are now buying toys and that are also more knowledgeable. They have access to online right. reviews and they do that. But they'll also buy better quality toys. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll go online and they'll see toys for $10, $50, and 100 and, you know, they'll make decisions based on reviews and right. what they need years ago it was all packaging you right. know, a shitty package wouldn't sell a good package would sell right. a crappy products right so, wow yeah that's are, true yeah people are way more informed today than before so it means you have to be more informed too can you tell I, i'm just trying to re- i'm just remembering now like the first kink store i went into was right. in chicago um and i was extraordinarily nervous i was super mm-hmm. nervous mm-hmm. um uh, and I, and in that case, the the people at the store—I don't even remember the name of the store—but the people at the store were were like almost overtly friendly, and you know they could kind of tell that I was nervous, and so they were super nice. And um, when people come in here, how do how do you make people feel well, comfortable? We make them feel welcome. We you know, hey, have you been here before? No, we show them around where everything is. Right. <clears throat> Ask them if they're looking for something in particular. Right. And I have a lot of women who work in the store, so it makes women feel sure. comfortable. Right. And people are not as shy as they were 10, 20 years ago just because of the internet right. and all the exposure in movies and current books. And sure. That. I think people today are more open to stuff like this. It used to be really, really, you know, you know, if you went, mm-hmm. that, you know, they, there was almost a guilt just going, right? right. Mm-hmm. And you felt like a pervert by going, and not in a good, and not in a good way, right? Yeah, not today. Well, you still get what I call the hardcore sex shops where you walk in and it's just a crappy atmosphere. No one right. talks to you. Right. No one knows what the products do or what they are. It's like you just got to take a chance. Right. But we like to have testers and samples, and people can try on clothes. So it's just more homey. I remember being here the very first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to go to a party, and they would not let you wear. Uh, my first kink party, they wouldn't let you wear anything that wasn't fetish. You had to wear mm-hmm. fetish. And so I came here to, and I got a, a latex shirt. And um, I think it was, maybe it was Lolita who was helping me out. Or someone was being, was extraordinarily friendly. Uh, because obviously they could tell. I had never tried anything right. on right. before in my entire life. Um, so I was always be, be very grateful for, uh, because of that, I was able to go on to my first uh, party. Right. Um, uh you have a huge amount of of corsets, right? And, inventory, yeah, yeah, and uh-huh. a, a, there's a ton of them. What, what, is, how do you, how do you even qual, you know, do quality control for something like well, that? We, we get from two or three sources, oh, okay. and their quality is good. Um, it's the same thing as trial and error. I've bought from many sources over the years, and sometimes the corsets just aren't good. The boning pokes its holes, makes holes, uh, just rips apart, right? So I found three or four good corset makers and I buy from them and it's just, you know, keeping inventory, 
certain sizes are more popular than other sizes. Right. And, you know, there's basically two styles, an underbust and an overbust. <laughs> Have you noticed, um, I remember you know, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago, uh, that latex was a really big thing. I mean, it was huge, at least right. in, at least in my memory, when I go to a, a lot of the parties, that was the big thing. Um, and it seems like that's less popular now. Well, no, for me, it's more popular, but the thing that's less popular is leather clothing. Really? Yeah. Is that for political reasons, you no, think? I think it's economics. Right. You know, years ago, people would spend two, $300 in a pair of pants, two, right. $300 on a shirt and, you know, just heavy leather. Today, yeah. the younger kids, they're not interested. They just want like something cheap, black, something right. stretchy. And they're not into leather like the old hardcore leather man used to be into, you know. Right. So that's a different audience, and I think that's definitely been one of the big changes. When I uh, I was I was invited to a party by a woman I was very attracted to, mm-hmm. and um, but it was a leather party. You had to wear leather, mm-hmm. um, and so um, I I ordered some leather pants, and I knew nothing about this scene. Right. And this this friend said, um, uh, "Well, did you?" She was really upset that she didn't like have me try it on first. Or right. she, she said, "Did you order daddy pants or boy pants?" I had no idea what the hell she was talking about, right. and I was like, I, I, "What? I, I have no idea what you're talking about." Right, right, right. Uh, thankfully, I did not get the daddy pants, right. which is apparently just boxier and it's not. Oh, I wouldn't know. They're I've not never, tight or. I've never heard that description before. I, apparently, they're like dominant pants and there are submissive pants. Yeah, I didn't know. That. And I was smart enough to apparently get the submissive pants. They're right. tighter, apparently. Okay. This, uh, uh, that's as mm-hmm. far as I knew about it. Um, but I think you're right. Like getting, by the way, if it weren't for those pants, mm-hmm. I would not be married today. <laughs> those pants are what Saad was attracted to me by. In fact, I think if they got lost, she'd probably leave me tomorrow, I'm, I'm betting. Well, it's funny. I always say to guys when they're going to the parties and they're not dressing up, I say, well, what are you bringing to the table? Right. You know, nothing, then you deserve nothing. <laughs> you know, you're going to bring something to the table, whether it's, you know, a Just skill, dressing. yeah, skill, money, or dress. <laughs> right, right. You know, pick one. Yeah. Well, uh, Lord knows my personality doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you you said you've noticed latex being more yeah, popular. It's more popular, and neoprene and spandex and leather sort of fading away. It's not a big thing, really. Um, also, more high end toys. People are really spending the money on like quality toys right. that work. Right. Um, so it's been interesting. Um, I'm trying to think, and it's all ages, all kinds of people. There's right. no like one group, right? Um, do you is there is there anything that stands out to you as being like a uh, a toy that you uh, you were either presented with or maybe you bought that you were like it was like so bizarre you had no idea guess it would sell, and it did, or vice versa. Well, a lot of times we get like really. High-end toys, and I'm always skeptic that someone would actually spend that kind of money. And right. So we'll get one, and then it sells, and then I get more, and it sells. Right. You know, and I mean, I've had that from expensive single tails to masks, right. you know, hundreds of dollars, and they sell to special kinds of clothes and right. corsets. And I'm always amazed people will spend money on things they want if it's good quality. Do you get a lot of people trying to sell you something that you know is just totally out there and you just don't, you don't do well, it? Well, 
I get a lot of companies that will knock off anything. And right. I get that email. We can knock off anything. I say, I'm not into putting all my suppliers out of business. Right. And if you right. make a product, show me what you make. Right. Maybe I'll like it, but I'm not interested in being you being the knockoff company. Of course, yeah. And then clothing. There's a lot of clothes from overseas that I wouldn't touch just because the quality is bad. Right. The pictures you see are not what you get. Um, sizing is completely shot. So you know, there's a lot of companies overseas I wouldn't touch. Is there is there a way? You know, people listening. I know there's a lot of people yeah. listening who you, you know who live mm-hmm. in, uh, you know, maybe they live in Clear Pond, Iowa, or something like that. They're nowhere near a kink shop, right. so they're they're ordering this stuff online. Well, I don't have clothes online. I just have latex. Right. And I tell people you can if you buy it, you can always exchange it if it doesn't fit. But if someone is is, is ordering, let's say they're ordering from another store. Mm-hmm. Uh, is Whatever. there any tip you can give of, of how how to tell you know a quality from no, from I a can't band? because I have the same issue. I've right. had people with the most amazing pictures and I buy the stuff and it's absolute crap. Right. You know, the leather's thin or it's like cardboard and the pictures were amazing but not the product. So I suppose great. you gotta look at reviews, right? And reviews or you just buy a cheap sample. Right. And, and then see what uh, it's like. I suppose and also in like as in most things, mm-hmm. if you email them and they reply and they're really responsive. That's a kind of that's a good sign, I would imagine. If they could be, I mean, I know people who bought stuff from overseas, like where they're a medium, and the medium was like an extra small, or right? Four X, and it's a sizing is so weird. That's why I don't put clothing on the website. It's right. just so difficult. You know, if someone wants clothes, I tell them call the store, and we'll work with you over the phone. Right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I can't imagine that's got to be mm. almost more trouble than it's worth sometimes, right? It because is. that's why I don't do it. Right, because they'll they want to return it because because you know again they're medium and everything else, but mm. you're, you or, are... or you can just be a jerk and say no returns, like some companies do. But right, I don't want to do that, so I don't do that. Do you do you have a lot of people who? Uh, uh, you know, come to you because you've got really good customer service because they yeah. get screwed by other people. And well, I don't know about that. Most times they're not going to tell me, Hey, you know, I just bought something. It's so shitty. I thought I'd come here as a last resort. <laughs> right, you know, right. They're not, not going to say that. Right. But we get a lot of people who like it because none of my staff are on commission. So they're not like hustling. you trying to make you right. buy stuff. And I always have this philosophy. If they look good, it's good publicity for us. Sure. So we always want them to buy what works, what fits. You know, right. if, that, if it's a, something about a color, I might like blue, you might like green. That's okay. You pick the color you like. Right. But uh, people like it because they can try on stuff. And we're usually pretty honest. If something doesn't look good or doesn't fit, we tell them. Right. Yeah. So. I've heard people say that when uh, the company, company, when the country goes more conservative, right. that sex toy sales increase because people are trying to find an outlet for it because I, I don't know. have you but, noticed that uh, like during the bush years did you notice a, a, a swell in sales or no, no? I'll, well i can i'll tell you in about three months if this is <laughs> true or not right right you know? <laughs> uh, i think you know sex is funny you can't regulate sex people are what they are right so you know they're gonna buy toys whether it's from you or online you know it's just i don't think you know, people might be more frustrated and stuff like that, but I don't think it's going to make a mess spike in the sales for right. toys. Yeah, I don't think so. I might be wrong. Well, you did have, I mean, I, you do have a, a, an instance where people under adversity either do go, you know, they need that outlet. So they, you know, they'll they'll seek, you know, especially I should say kinksters. You could tell, mm-hmm. 
when it was a really bad week because sometimes the the kink scene the parties would be just overflowing there'd be people who would need an escape from the reality that they're you know um, and so it'll be very, I'll be very curious to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I'll know because I'll have the trend. Right. I mean, it's like they say when there's a huge unemployment, you know, people who drink and read, right. sales go up because there's nothing else to do. You drink and you read. Right. So who knows? Uh, you do, how long have you been doing classes here? Probably about two or three years. And uh, really, I thought it's been going along longer than that, no? Maybe it could be, maybe five years. Five years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, is, are there a specific type of classes you usually go for, or is it just whatever? It's whatever. Lolita is in charge of the classes, and uh, it seems like bondage is the big popular thing these days. Right. Most of the classes around bondage sell out. Really? Yeah, beginner bondage, like learning how to do it. Right. And you usually get like experts <laughs> uh-huh. who are very well versed in the field, and then people can get because it's a, it's a, maybe a slightly smaller space than if it were mm-hmm. at tests or something like that, right. you get more of a one-on-one. Well, yeah, we get more hands-on, so we're limited to maybe like 16 or 18 people. And of course, people can go to your site to see uh, other upcoming classes and stuff Yeah, like they that. list them on the website. Right. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you'd like to discuss? That uh, no, like we go? spoke about the clubs, we spoke about the store, and uh, I used to do shows around the country. I still do shows. Uh, you know, Every two, three months, I like to go to a show for two reasons. One is I get to see what other vendors are selling, and mm-hmm. it keeps me fresh. And also, sometimes I pick up like craftspeople. You know, oh, yeah, sure. Someone who makes enough stuff to sell to one or two stores, but not a lot. Right. So those are the kinds of people I like to cultivate. Right. Is there is there a specific product that you find that are uh, really, really good when it's one, like, one person that makes it as opposed to, say, a, a giant, you know, machine or a giant company that makes something? Or as uh, opposed, obviously, like a high-tech vibrator would be better if it was made by, right. or as opposed to a corset, it might be better by one person. It depends, because the problem with single people who make craftspeople, they're also sometimes very unreliable. Hmm. A lot of them are manic, so I get weeks where I get a ton of stuff, and then months where I get lots of excuses. Right. So sometimes it's difficult dealing with some of the craftspeople. Right. And big corporations, well, you know, they're big. They can just mass market anything. Of and and I try not to have a lot of mass marketed stuff because mm-hmm. then you're competing with everyone and right. I don't have to do that. Having been, you know, you've lived in, did you go to a lot of kinksing in London when you were there? Uh, I went to a few things. There was a guy years ago who I met his name. He ran a magazine called Atom Age. Uh, I can't think of his name. But they would have fetish parties, but strict dress code, very little playing, right. just strict dress codes in London. And that's what I found. And they're more into the dress. Yeah. I noticed that as well. Yeah. That there was, you know, if they did have any actual play, it would be something that was a performance on stage or something right. like that. Right. Otherwise, it was all about the appearance of, of it. Lots now, of clothing. I mean, even when you go to London today, 90% of all the stores, they just have clothes. Right. Nothing else. Yeah. No, you're right. Why do you think yeah. that is? Is it is just the culture there or it has to be yeah like i've heard uh if you go to to germany if you go to if you go to hamburg or berlin Mm -hmm. it's almost i mean there's about 50 50 right you if you but it depends on the club some clubs it's all about the play 
and almost nothing, you know, and, or it's all about the, the fetish or the, the or should say the dress. Okay. That there's very little, di- you know, there's very little that that are that are both, so to speak, because if you're there for one thing, that's what you're there for. Right. Um, that uh, I know I've got one friend who she went to a club in in Berlin, and it was like a free for all. I mean, it looked like uh, an old painting with it has demons fucking everywhere. I mean, it was just like bizarre, at least compared to here, right? Because right. we really don't have that. At least not no. too much. It's a private party or something like that, right? Right. Is the state of New York or the city of New York has it ever come down on you? Has it ever given you any grief? No, I've always been careful in the store what I sell. I mean, I'm opposite the police station. Right. And when I first opened the store, I invited them in and I said, am I selling anything that I shouldn't be? Right. Because I don't want to have a problem. And they like that. Did they, yeah. I mean, did they give you a list of things you can't, like, no, what, do you know what, at, what can't you sell? I don't know. No. I mean, obviously some types of well, I, adult I, content you can't, but I no, mean. No, I, I reverse logic. I said, this is what I have in the store. Tell me if there's anything that I shouldn't be selling. I'll right. take it off. And that's, was fine. So that's what I The think. police costumes that come with a pig nose probably wouldn't be <laughs> a highlight for them, I would yeah. imagine. Well, I'd, I don't really sell stuff like right. that. <laughs> right. But, yeah, they were pretty good about that. Right. Um, you know, we don't have the booths, and a couple of stores in the neighborhood have booths, and uh, they're always getting having problems. Oh, I bet. getting ripped off and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So we like a good tenant, good neighbor. People come, they shop, they leave. You know, no one hangs outside the sex shop. Hey, look what I just bought. <laughs> right, right, right. Note to self, plan for to mess with Hilton on April Fool's Day next year. Uh-huh. Just to, right. Hey, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you, you seem to have a pretty good clientele, too. I mean, the people don't, don't seem to cause any troubles. No, that's because, you know, no one wants to be, get into trouble like in a sex shop, I guess. Right. You know. But you, you would, I would imagine, though, that there, you would have. There's always some weirdo at a party, right, that shows up, and I always wondered if that happened to you as well. Like someone would We've come in and just. We've had a few customers over the years that I've gotten out the store. They're either drunk, and I'm, I don't like dealing with drunks, which is why I'm not open late at night. Right. And uh, I've had basically two people who I had to like get rid of this out the store because they were drunk and just causing problems. Right. Do you think because they had to drink to get their nerve up to go in, or no? I think one guy, one guy had just come out of prison and he was really fucked up and he wanted to become a hustler, right? And he, it was just nasty. wait. What does that mean, a hustler? Like a pimp? Yeah, no. Well, he wanted to sell himself, and it was, oh, oh, it, it was just crazy. This was about a year ago, and I got rid of him, right? And then one time on 16th Street, my other store. But fortunately, you know, I'm always being like in an off the beaten path. Right. You don't get too many crazies. They yeah. don't come out looking for you. Can you tell the difference between like when someone walks in, this mm-hmm. is clearly a tourist mm-hmm. from, you know, from Kansas who's never been in a kink store before. Right. And they're just totally, you know, they are just totally in on. This is something that, that was part of their trip mm-hmm. as opposed to a New Yorker who just comes in who's. Local who's yeah. just picking up supplies. Can you tell the difference between the two? Or Most times you can. I mean, they'll come in, they've never been in a store like this, you know, because we'll ask them, oh, have you been here before? No. Where right. are you from? Because we get people from like all over the country, sure. all over the world. And it's nice. And so, you know, I always remind everyone, we all started at the beginning. Right. So sometimes some of these people are at the beginning. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's fun sometimes when you're explaining certain things to people because they're so eager beaver to learn and see it. 
And then some people are just annoying. They just laugh and giggle and you just sort of heard, heard them in and heard them out. Right. I, I yeah. mean, I've been amazed because, you know, I've, I've come here many times and mm-hmm. um, I've always been amazed at just like the, the types of people who come in um, are, you know, sometimes you'll have someone who looks like a someone's who is someone's grandma who looks really sweet. Right. She just came from the crocheting club and now she comes in and she's you know, like talking like a sailor, like, yes, hello, young man. I'm looking to fuck <laughs> 10 people with this uh, yeah, rototiller. Right. And you're like, well, holy cow. I always laugh because it's funny. I'm sure a lot of times... I'm a, you know, my, me or my staff, the way people talk to us, they tell us the most intimate desires. And I'm sure they don't talk to their partners like that sometimes. Right. You know, when they talk about the exact size butt plug they're looking for or vibrator right. or dildo, and you discuss what they have and why it didn't work. And it's fun. Sometimes you feel like you're a mechanic in a weird way. Right. You know? And sometimes a therapist yeah. in another and way. And it's fine. And it's fine. You get used to it after a while. It doesn't bother us. Um. Other things I've seen, too, are you'll have a couple come in right. and uh, it's clear that you know, sometimes you'll have the couple where one of them is clearly coming like one of them is clearly coming because the other one is really wanting this. Right. Yeah, we get that quite a bit where you get one one part of the couple is really into it and trying to get the other the other partner into it. Okay. Do you sort of uh, act as, as a wing person to kind of help out? Well, we the... try and make the person who's new feel comfortable. Right. And usually when they feel comfortable, they'll sort of open up and, you know, they'll m- maybe try and explore and buy sure. a few interesting toys. I think that's, that's, a, that's something I hear very common from friends is that, that, that mm-hmm. especially if they're dating someone who's vanilla and they're trying right. to introduce them is they'll bring them to Purple Passion and they'll just they'll sort of, you know, not really point them directly at the thing they're interested in, but kind of see where they right. gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. And that's a good way to sort of, you know, to, to, to bring it up, right? Right. Um, or to, to let them explore and let them pick out the thing or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, and yeah. That, it's, and that's fun because when they come into a store where everyone feels comfortable, like all the staff talking about it, it usually makes them feel a little more comfortable too. Right. There was a store in London. I don't know if it's still there. And I know there's, I think there's a place in San Francisco that's a coffee shop slash kink place. Mm-hmm. That, it, you know, they do sell some books. Uh, but it's primarily a coffee shop that also serves as like a kink education. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm drawing a blank of what it's called now. Mm-hmm. Um, but have you thought of expanding, doing something else, you know, along no. with it? No. I've had many offers to expand and do stuff. And I do one thing good. I have the store. Right. You know, and I don't want to do magazines and I don't want to do fashion shows unless I have to. You know, I just focus and that's really what's kept me going. Right. I've seen a lot of people who become unfocused and they're doing a bit of everything. Right. And you know, if you have the time and the inclination, it's fine. I don't. You know, uh, I keep busy full time doing the store. I just really don't have time to do anything else properly. With rents going, I mean, rent's really expensive in New York. Mm-hmm. Have you been able to maintain a fairly decent yeah, rate? I have a really good landlady. She's pretty good. That's good. And yeah. she's totally cool, doesn't give you any grief about what you do or anything? No, no, I think she's fine. I suppose she's just happy to have a regular customer that doesn't... Well, see, that's sort of restaurants, so I think right. she's happy. I suppose restaurants last an average of a couple of years well, here. no, but you get the smells, you get rats, you get people. Right. You know, sometimes they're drunk, they leave a restaurant, they piss outside, they right. throw up, you know. Yeah. Which is something that I'd say most customers don't do here, unless it's unless no. it's a class. Then no. the puking and throwing up and, and stuff is part of the education process. That no, you maybe your education. Right. <laughs> this was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much for oh, doing my this. My pleasure. If you have any other questions, I'm trying to think anything else. No, that's really it. 
Um, I did want to ask you about, since you did see like the early parts of like the Hellfire scene, and now it seems very homogenous, not homogenous, but it seems very say I don't safe is the right word. Well, it is. It's very protected, I mean, right? I mean, which is a good thing, of course, right? Organized and controlled, right? But yeah. at the same time, uh, that was one of, part of the appeal of Hellfire, right? The fact that it was um, you could show up and, and do just about anything <coughs> as long as there was consent. Um, is there? Do you do you miss those days? I do in a way. It was just wild. It was like the Wild West. You know, people did what they wanted to do. You had no rules, regulations. I mean, today it's safer. Right. You know, people aren't sick. Right. Picking up AIDS. Sure. And but it was very different. Um, you know, you created your own set of rules, whatever they were. I heard some really, really right. weird stories of people who were like, someone would come up, come walk in with a horse head on. And would just start fucking everyone who wanted to be fucked. And then they'd walk out. No one ever saw the person's face. Well, I mean, I was at a party once in Hellfire years ago. Actually, a friend of mine who I'm friendly with today, he walked in. He had just a raincoat, nothing else. And he has a huge dick. And he walked up to one of the porno stars. Her name was Veronica Vera. You know her. Anyway, he just walked up to her and fucked her and then left. <laughs> and that was it. And that's how he met her. <laughs> You know, in those days, it was weird. People did a lot of crazy shit. <laughs> Which I don't think yeah. that would happen today. No, not I don't today. Think, no, no, today you'd have to at least know, you know, what kind of STD you're carrying. Or of course. You've been tested and right. this and that. But it was just spontaneous. Yeah. You know, it was just a very different era. Thanks, Hilton. And uh, you can go to purplepassion.com to uh, visit the store online. You can also find out more on massacast.com for this episode. Hope you're doing well, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.